Hey everybody, welcome to the back room. I'm Andy Ostroy. We have a really interesting guest for you today, talking about a fascinating subject. She is Molly Roden Winter, and she has a new book out on open marriage. We're going to talk with Molly in just a second. But first, thank you for tuning in. We appreciate you listening, and we'd love to hear your comments. So email us at backroomandy at gmail.com and or post on our social media, and we'll read some feedback next time. And if you like the podcast, please follow or subscribe and rate and review, and you'll be notified every time we post a new episode. So let me tell you a little bit about Molly Roden Winter. She is a Brooklyn-based writer, author, and musician. Her personal essays have appeared in The Cut, Time Magazine, Romper, and elsewhere. Her just-released New York Times best-selling book is titled More, A Memoir of Open Marriage. Molly, welcome into the back room. Thank you so much for having me. So you have a okay. book that just came out. It's a New York Times best-selling book titled More, A Memoir of Open Marriage. And I have yes. to say, I read it and uh, had to pick my head up off the floor because it kind of spun off my shoulders. Right. Yeah. I guess uh, that's good. Yeah. Full disclosure, I've led a pretty sheltered life. Uh, well, I had two before 2008. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you know, I don't say that as any kind of judgment because I'm still wondering if I either made the right choice or I missed out on an awful lot of fun. But mm. I do enjoy reading and hearing about other people's experiences. And in this particular instance, always been fascinated by the concept of open marriage, with the concept of multiple partners, like yeah. satisfying one partner or mate is complicated yeah. and challenging enough. So I want to get into all of that with you, but you still are married to Stuart. I am indeed. You guys yes. have been married and 24 years? 24 years. Mm -hmm. And I'll just say, before I forget to say it, part of the joy of this is I don't have to satisfy him anymore because now it's not entirely my job you know what i'm saying i so know in some exactly ways gets, what you're saying you have in help in some ways it gets less complicated you, good help is I'm hard like, to find i don't want to do that you go do that somewhere else it actually it's it's that's one of the mind-blowing things that people don't expect that like that i didn't expect right that there is there is now a a team of people it takes a village can, it takes a village each of us on our toes hillary yes. was right but I'll, I don't yeah. think she was referring yeah. to she, this. I don't know if she meant this. No, but she, de she definitely she did right. not. And you have two sons, <laughs> two sons, 21 and 19. That's right. Okay. Uh, and so you began your open marriage in 2008. That's what, that's where I marked the beginning. Yes. And that's, it, it took a little decision making to decide, yes, that's where it began. Mm -hmm. Um, but yes, let's say 2008, that's where the book starts for sure. Mm -hmm. And you have parents who were, or have been married for nearly 60 years, and guess what? Mm -hmm. They had an open marriage. Indeed. And you found and that out when? When I was 28, my aunt, you know, had a little too much to drink and told me. Did that just totally so, blow your mind? It did. It did. And the way my aunt said it was that my mother had had an affair. And so she didn't say open marriage. And when I went to ask, I, I sat on that information for a year before I worked up the nerve to ask my mom about it. And she then told me, you know, yes, it was true. And I said, does dad know? And she said, well, it was your father's idea. So interestingly, she, and it went on from there and she's had more than one partner and um, my father has as well, but I don't, 
think they ever knew the term open marriage. They were also a little sheltered. Mm -hmm. um, they thought they were inventing something and they didn't have language for it. And I also didn't really have this language in 2008, to be honest. It wasn't in the in the mainstream the way it happens to be in the last three weeks. But wasn't it like back then, <laughs> back in the day, wasn't it referred to as, as either, you know, wife swapping or something like that? Like Probably in a lot of circles, but like my parents barely knew about the Rolling Stones. You mm. know what I mean? They were like, they were listening to folk music and, you know, you ask my father to name an actor and he's like really hard pressed. Like they weren't really watching. But he had a harem. Movement. Yeah, right, right. I don't know about that. Where it counts, yeah. he knew stuff, I guess. He had some insights that he felt like he had come to all by himself. That's why they felt like they were inventing something new. Wow. There wasn't the internet, right? And so unless you chose to read certain publications or talk to certain people, you wouldn't know what was going on in right. other corners wow, of the that's, world. That's interesting. You know? and, did, yeah. and when you spoke to your mother or father about this did they explain to you how back in the day before you know what is what's that website ashley uh, madison ashley madison yeah. yeah like how did people find other people to do this with well i think primarily they were um they you know had connections with people who were single or divorced not other people in an open marriage um so it wasn't like a quote unquote wife swapping kind of situation at all. They right. each had their their partners were independent of one another. They didn't all hang out. Right. Um and so it it was they were doing it in their own way. It wasn't like a scene from, you know, the ice storm or whatever right. key party mm -hmm. movies you can think of. Um, so I think that's interesting too, that we often will you know, think of non-monogamy in this monolith. And if it happened in the 70s, it was this way. Right. And if it's happening now, it was this way. Mm -hmm. But really, there's a spectrum of experiences and everybody does kind of figure it out as they go along, just like everybody figures out monogamy too. If you get married, there's not just one way to do it. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, I've spent 64 years trying to understand how my parents had three children when they never had sex. So... <laughs> The concept of them having sex with other people, like I, it's not even, I can't even fathom. It's like not even, if my mother said to me, oh, your dad and I were in an open marriage, you'd yeah. hear a thud first yeah. and then you'd hear the sirens for the EMS. Then you'd hear the <laughs> defibrillator and, and I can't say what would happen after that, but it would, I would go into cardiac arrest probably and shock. Well, I think it's, I think that's kind of a result of, you know, we, we, whether you are, you know, part of this um, culture in terms of its, its root religions and things like that, I want to use the word puritanical. And I know there are Christian roots to that. And not everybody was part of that. But our culture is very puritanical, mm -hmm, I think, mm -hmm. in that we don't talk, you know, we, we talk about sex, to, you know, sex sells, we objectify mm -hmm. women, mm -hmm. but we don't actually talk to most parents don't talk to their children in a kind of nitty gritty way right. about what sex is about. My mother certainly never did. Um, I learned about what little I knew about sex. I learned from my older sister or from listening to Dr. Ruth on Sunday night. Can you imagine like if your mother did talk, talk to you about it, she, she'd be like, I can't All right, Molly, imagine it. 
when you get older, you you know, you're going to have sex with your husband and the guy from the garage <laughs> and the guy from the it, deli and maybe the guy from the little league game and the <laughs> maybe. No, never never was with the guy from the deli, but like I think that's our assumption too that mm-hmm. people who are in op- like if you are non-monogamous, you must be sleeping with everybody also. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily the case right. either. Right. You know, it's not a free for all, but for some people maybe it is, but that's that's kind of the way I thought it was going to be. And that's the way I started out. And then I realized this is neither sustainable nor fulfilling. Um, so I had to kind of change my own stereotype of what I thought this life was going to be like. Mm-hmm. And are you still a teacher? No. I stopped teaching when my oldest entered the school where I taught. Oh, okay. <laughs> I did not. I did not want to have to yell at him in the cafeteria, so oh. I got out of there right this, around that moment. This one of my questions, one of my thoughts was, how is this book going to go over in the in the schoolyard? Yeah, well, there was a substitute teacher who was on. Do you know? Do you remember the reality show Temptation Island? Sure. Do you remember that show? Sure. Yeah. So one of our subs was on that, and he was like subbing in the fourth and fifth grade classrooms and it yeah he got asked to not come back it was too much the kids couldn't wrap their brains around it god I, um i mean i remember but i, I did teach health so i still they have knew, fantasies of my fifth grade algebra teacher so i can't imagine what would have gone on <laughs> <laughs> i mean we don't need to stoke the flames too much no you know it was it was it was enough mm-hmm. but he was a sub so he didn't have any like job security or anything so so why write this book yeah, that's a great question. And I have asked myself that question a couple times over the last few weeks. Why did I do this? And I have to remind myself, um, I was not seeing any stories that sounded like mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, you know, as non-monogamy has kind of just been around the periphery of the mainstream, but it's still been pretty fringy. And so everything that I was reading um, you know, there was this, the occasional modern love article or things like that. It was always one of two things. It was either we tried it and it didn't work, or I think we were just born this way. You know, we were born non-monogamous. And neither of those things were true for me. I did not um, feel like I was born this way. I, it was a struggle, but I do feel like it's possible. You know, I, I am living proof that it is possible. And not only that, but I learned some really important things about myself along the way. And that's why it's a memoir. It's not a how-to manual. It's not a manifesto. Mm -hmm. I'm not proselytizing that this is the way. Just like I don't think, if you know the book, you know, Wild by Cheryl Strayed, Mm -hmm. I don't Mm -hmm. think she's saying everybody needs to walk the Pacific Crest Trail in order to you know, recover from addiction. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But she Um, did. But she did. Mm -hmm. And she had a story to tell. And so this is what I did. And I had a story to tell. And I also knew that there was something important about giving mothers in particular freedom to be whole people. And that is partly the, I had to give myself that freedom to be a full person, to be a sexual being. And I think in our culture, we expect mothers to be very monolithic. If you're a mother, this is the way you're supposed to act. And if you deviate from that, you're a bad mother. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I'm actually a, you know, am I a perfect mother? No. But do perfect mothers exist? No. 
but I'm, I think my kids would agree. In fact, my oldest told me last night, you're a really good mom. And I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. And I, I want to give other women permission to not be destroyed by motherhood because it is, it is a really hard thing being a mom. Mm -hmm. I, I think you're right. We do, you know, sexuality is very repressed in this country. It's not like, you know, in Europe, for example. Um, no, yeah. I think a lot of people aren't free with their sexuality. They don't feel comfortable being who they are. I mean, some people do. I mean, there are some people in the Furbies who dress up and do their yeah. thing. They're, they're not inhibited or uh, or But they might have once been. But they might yeah. have once been. But I think a lot of people are, and I think it is important that stories like this are shared you know, you don't have to agree with it and you don't have to like it. You don't have to do it, but it's just... Certainly don't have to do yeah, it. Yeah, no. it's just, <laughs> I think it, it lets people know that there are alternatives to how you want to live your life and be in touch with yourself sexually. Um, so when, when you write this book and it gets out there, I mean, yeah. you, live in, you live in Brooklyn, it's like the, yep. the headquarters of yuppie mommies with $2,000 strollers. Uh, <laughs> this is out. Like, yeah. how much weighing of the reality of losing your, not only anonymity, but your sexual anonymity in a community like the one you live in, did you concern yourself much with being judged or how that would be? Or did you just not give a shit? I think I, think I judged myself more harshly than anyone mm -hmm. during many of the years that I'm writing about in the book. Mm -hmm. um, and I had to get past that. I don't judge myself anymore. I'm actually proud of who I am and I'm proud of my marriage and I'm proud of my kids and I'm proud of my writing. And so if somebody doesn't like it, that's okay. Mm -hmm. I'm not, ex I'm not trying to win a popularity contest. Um, but my parents' feelings about it were important to me. And I had their support from the beginning. They, I had a, some fear and some anxiety, um, but their support has just been growing. They, they've been listening to every podcast, every interview, and just saying, oh, that was wonderful. You know, they're still, you know, they're in their 80s in the suburbs of Chicago, and they I outed them as well. Right. Like, they had to tell my sister because this book was coming out. She still didn't know. Um, so it's opened up these family conversations in a way that I think is really important. It's opened mm -hmm. up conversations with my children that I had, you know, I had like a fabulous talk with my 21 year old last night about relationships. Mm -hmm. And I'm just so glad that the people in my life now, I can be my full authentic self with everyone I'm in contact mm -hmm. with. And that's the only way I want to be. Well, that's very liberating and a admirable and, and in a sense, courageous to put yourself out in the world like that and and, and just demand that people accept you for who you are. Um, <laughs> or not. Or not. You, they you don't know. have right. to. I don't, right. I, I don't really have a vested stake. Everybody who matters to me right. is cool with it. And that's, that's, th that's all the prep work that I did was making sure that the people I love we're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I've spent the last couple of years doing as this book was mm -hmm. getting released. So, we, so I've, I feel good about it. So with regard to your parents, we live in an age where our president is deemed too old. <laughs> right. Your parents are in their 80s. Uh, have yeah. they hung up their cleats, so to speak, or are they still? <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. 
Well, I mean, as I write about in the book, my mother has Parkinson's. Mm. She's now in a wheelchair. My dad is her primary caretaker. Mm. I mean, they have an incredible intimate relationship. Um, it's not necessarily sexually intimate mm -hmm. anymore, mm -hmm. but they have been through just about anything you can name and they are solid. At the same time, former partners of theirs are still close friends um, and, and kind of separate friends in some ways. So, but these are people who, who have a, a different kind of, you know, if you have an ex, for example, that you've stayed friends with, there's a special kind of quality to that because you did used to have that intimacy, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so my parents really value those friendships. And I've been able to see that as a model for me. And it's been an important part of my kind of decision. And I, you know, in the book, there were moments when I wanted to close the marriage or I was having a really hard time. And there was something in me that kept me from closing it because A, I knew that there was something here that I was getting curious about. Like, I feel like I'm learning these things about myself and I could feel things changing with my husband in a way that felt important. Mm. Um, and I also had my mother saying, oh, sweetie, it'll be okay. <laughs> she was she was on the other side of it and she could relate to all of the drama mm -hmm. and she could also show me a model of someone who had made it to the other side and had no regrets. Mm -hmm. So that was cool. So prior to the marriage becoming open, give or take 2008. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were married eight years before that moment. Um, yeah. I'm assuming that you and your husband were faithful during that period. I'm a hundred percent sure. Although, you know, cause like, I'm like, why would either of us lie about anything anymore? So right. I think I know the whole story and yes. Yeah. We were and so was it just so foreign back then that you could never have conceived of it until you were actually in it? It wasn't entirely foreign because my husband had said to me before we were engaged, I, I had very few partners before I got married. I had a college boyfriend for four and a half years, mm -hmm. and then I met my husband, mm -hmm. you know? And so I was rather virginal when I got married at 26. I met him at 23. Mm -hmm. And my husband is five years older and had dated a lot, mm -hmm. widely, you know? Um, so he said to me before we got engaged, there's no way you're going to be okay with never sleeping with someone else ever again. Mm. And he said, and if that's, if you do just, I want to know about it. And partly it was a bit of a turn on and partly he wanted to, he didn't want me to lie to him. And he, if there was something wrong in our sex life, he wanted to fix it. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't believe him that I would ever want to sleep with somebody else. We had tried a couple things like the, you know, this is why I say we dabbled. We had like a threesome with one of his ex-girlfriends and I was like, nope, never again. Like we did things like that, that were as a couple and I wasn't into it. So I really didn't think I would ever want to. So I was shocked when the book opens in 2008. I was just in the trenches of motherhood. My kids were three and six. My husband it owns his own music company and has to take calls with L.A. at like, you know, sometimes 9 p.m. So he was often working late and I was done. I, I left the house and I and I ended up going mm -hmm. to a bar and meeting a guy. And mm -hmm. that's how it began. Mm -hmm. I wasn't looking for anything to happen, but I was flooded with this new feeling, which I realized was like desire and sexual awakening. I was only 35. I wasn't, mm -hmm. 
like ready to be done with sex, but I barely had energy to have sex with my husband. Kids were just, you know, a huge, huge job. And I didn't even know what was left of me anymore. So something awakened in me and I talked to my husband about it because that's what he told me to do. He said, if you feel this way, I want you to tell me. And so that's that's the beginning. And of he's starting. the one who urged you to sleep with other men. Yeah. And, you know, some people I've been reading online, there are some people who are interpreting this as like I was manipulated. Mm -hmm. I was gaslit. I was whatever. And it's like, I mean, we're 15 years past that moment now. And it, we've talked about it. My parents have talked about it because it was also my father who urged my mother. I think there are a few things going on. One is as a woman raised in a certain way, I felt like I needed my husband's permission. You know what I mean? That mm -hmm. was, I wouldn't have done it without his permission for mm -hmm. one. And number two, um, eventually it came to a point where I, I want, I needed to change the dynamic. And I write about this too. I realized it was for me. It wasn't for him. It wasn't for a marriage. I told myself it was for him initially because that allowed me to give myself permission. Like, mm -hmm. oh, he wants me to. He thinks it's hot. But pretty quickly, I was like, actually, I, I started withholding details. I started like, now we're on very kind of separate paths, but we do talk with each other. So it evolved over time. Um, and at any point, you know, yes, I could have left the marriage, but I loved him and I wanted to stay married. Um Yes, I could have. If I had said we're going to close the marriage, we've talked about this since he would have done it. But I never gave him the ultimatum. The only ultimatum I gave was you have to go to couples therapy. Mm -hmm. In and reading your did. book, my sense of it, and I could be totally wrong, is that yeah. if you had said to him, I want to close the marriage, he wouldn't have been a happy camper. Maybe not, but we would have talked it through. Yeah, that's probably true. But I don't think I would have been a happy camper either. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Oh, of like, course. Mm -hmm. When I think about where I was before we opened up, I was not like in a great place, mm -hmm. you know? And so there's always, just like you said at the very beginning, um, Andy, you were saying like, yeah, sometimes I wonder what if I had done it this way, what would have happened? Mm -hmm. And you'll never know, right? Because you make choices in life. Well, I'm like a Woody Allen, fear of death kind of guy. So like if I had been promiscuous to the way other people, I would have caught syphilis and my leg would have fallen off. <laughs> I'd be that guy. And that's like what kind of kept me like, you know what? There's just too many things that can go wrong. I know, but you can also get hit by a bus when you leave your house. That's so, true. That is you true. You know, I, I choose not to live my life that way. Mm -hmm. And for better or for worse, it's worked out so far. So... Mm -hmm. Um, but no, it's a real question that a lot of women have asked me about, like, who really thought of it? Who really wanted it? And, you know, I guess he could have pulled the wool over my eyes for a while. But at this point, I'm feeling pretty bright eyed and clear headed. Mm -hmm. And I and that's not my take on it, except to say something like, you know, if you if you're married, let's say you want to go to your parents for Christmas and you will. So you'll be like we should go to your parents for Thanksgiving. I think that would be really nice. Like the way you suggest something mm -hmm. is something that they will agree to. That's mm -hmm. what we do in marriage. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, it's kind of a constant negotiation. Um, I feel like we have talked about this ad nauseum so many times and in so many contexts, my husband and I, including doing joint interviews where we're asked this very question, including with my parents even, you know? And 
And I think every angle that we could analyze it from, we have, mm -hmm. and we're pretty comfortable with like, we had, you know, there were some things maybe under the surface that neither of us were admitting to feeling or wanting. Well, it's um, an interesting conversation because the truth is, statistically, 50% of marriages end in divorce. Right. And one can surmise from the remaining 50% that a good chunk of those aren't in good shape. So the right. real successful, long-term, lasting relationships, marriages, yeah, it is a needle in a haystack. So do you, A, feel that marriage, traditional marriage, is an inherently flawed institution? And B, do you think polyamory or open marriages, is that an inherently flawed lifestyle? Well, people are inherently flawed. So as soon as you put more than one person together, you're just doubled the flaws, right? And then mm -hmm. it's, it's, for me, all about taking the opportunity, whatever your lifestyle is, whatever choices you're making, and this is advice my mother gave me in the book that I think about all the time, every single thing you do is an opportunity to learn about yourself. And my feeling is that marriage is one of those opportunities when you get so much reflected back to you when you're, you know, if you look at family systems therapy and things like that, the the belief is that we often choose a spouse because of the way they trigger us, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. because they, they point a laser beam on something that we need to work on. Um, and so when you view marriage that way, as opposed to this person is supposed to make me happy, if you look at it as kind of a crucible in which mutual growth can happen, you start to think about things differently. And that's mm -hmm. the way I think about it now. Mm -hmm. So any any relationship requires your full self to be present and to show up. Otherwise, what's the point, mm -hmm. in my opinion? Mm -hmm. And so it's going to look different for different people. And there's mm -hmm. no one right way. Is monogamy an inherently flawed concept? think so I, I don't think I mean I have a sample size of one my life that's mm -hmm. all I know right so I don't feel like I'm in a position to speak to all of the things that other people go through I think that women based on all the mothers I know I think we have a flawed institution of the kind of heterosexual nuclear family in which we have strict gender roles and mothers are isolated at home with their children or trying to manage full-time jobs and motherhood. I, I think based on the number of DMs I'm getting in my Instagram from women who are both monogamous and non-monogamous, mm -hmm. pretty much everybody is a mom who writes to me hmm. and says, thank you for sharing what it's like to be filled with this kind of rage. Because I think COVID brought it into stark relief too that women bear the burden of everything in the home and we no longer have these kind of um you know networks of family mm -hmm. around and we've doubled down on expectations for women to also do all these other things and be you know sexually available to your husband but not too sexually available and smile mm -hmm. you know <laughs> I mean, I, I've just always wondered, are we meant to be monogamous? It's just because cheating seems to be at the foundation of so many breakups. 
It just seems like the Europeans sort of understood this a long time ago. And they were like, no, we're not meant to be monogamous. We'll have our affairs. We're not going to talk about it because that's just sex and I love you and we have a family yeah. and we're going to just deal with the obvious and not make a big fucking deal out of it. In this country, no, it's, a, think it's a big deal. It's and, a big and deal. It, we're constantly reminded in this country that monogamy is like climbing Mount Everest. Yeah. I will say, though, friends of mine who got married later at, like, let's say, 39, 40, mm -hmm. who spent their 20s and 30s mm -hmm. living a non-monogamous life, mm -hmm. don't have as much interest in it sure. as I did. And I had very limited experience, you know? So I think, again, it varies. Somebody who, friends of mine who are like, in their 50s, they're like, oh my God, I cannot be bothered. I cannot be bothered. So it's like, I, I was talking to someone recently, though, part of, I think, what needs to happen, it's not just sex. It's male-female friendships, too. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like, you know, you hear a Mike Pence, for example, say, I couldn't even have a business lunch with a woman. And it's like, well, I think I'm starting to get the picture here. If you don't get some more female voices in your ear, you're going to actually think that everybody thinks just like you. Mm -hmm. And I've found that the women that my husband dates, first of all, he always stays friends with his exes. There were five of his ex-girlfriends at our wedding. And he's that kind of guy mm -hmm. that enjoys female friendship too. Um so I feel like that's a benefit that you don't have to have an open marriage. But one of my friends who's, you know, who did stay single till she was 39 and isn't interested, but she, one of her best friends is her ex-boyfriend. And my book kind of inspired her. She, she read an early copy of it and she talked to her husband. She was like, I want to go on a trip with him. Like, I miss him so much. We used to, I don't want supervised time with him. Like, you can trust me. I'm not into it, mm -hmm. you know, but mm -hmm. like. I just want to be able to like talk with him for a couple of days. And so both of they went away for the weekend. And I feel like that kind of freedom to just, we don't have to be so locked down with each other. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be sex. It just has to be, you have to find ways to give each other freedom without all this fear mm -hmm. that something is going to happen. Yeah, I, to I, I totally people. get that. And in fact, my late wife and I at our wedding, we, we joked that we had a whole table full of the people that we had slept with. I, I've been that yeah. way my whole life. I can say I'm still friendly with pretty much everyone I've been involved with. That's um, a great testament. Yeah, and to I get that. But I think what do you say to the people though who say, Okay, that's that's okay. But like if you want variety, why mm -hmm. get married? Because marriage and this is an important thing for a lot of people, and I'm not judging, I'm just saying in general, yeah. a lot of people find it hard to say, Okay, a marriage can truly be successful without respect without trust, without intimacy? And how do you get those latter two things if you're sharing yourself with other people? That there's like a break in that trust. How does that no. not negatively impact the relationship, <laughs> the marriage? I think it's the exact opposite. We trust each other quite a bit now. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've been through everything. I, we choose each other every day, mm -hmm. every day. I know deep down in my core that he's my person mm -hmm. i have you know i he's the person i want to share my life with and what he's about sex you know look we all know that sex with somebody new is in a lot of ways but i know you're going to 
debate me on this, and I agree with. I know. I know where you're, you're going. Get, get ready. I know where you're ready. going. But there are people that will argue, like, you know, that new feeling you get with somebody new is never going to be. Uh, mar- sex with your partner, your ma- your husband, your wife is never going to be as good. The flip side to that is that you know your spouse has the map, has the GPS, knows where to go, how to get there <laughs> quickest, right? Sure does. No detours. Like, I, quick, efficient. I would say if you enjoy having old friends and new friends, it's mm-hmm. similar. <laughs> you want the person who knows you best, right? You don't want to ever give that up. Mm-hmm. But then sometimes you want to talk about something you never talked about before mm-hmm. with someone with a fresh perspective. So I think both are true. And what my husband and I have with each other is also this added thing where... I talk about this in the book. There are certain things that he likes sexually that I don't. And so if you're married in a monogamous way, guess what? You know, it was tough because either he had to compromise and give up on this thing that he feeds off of sexually, or I had to give up my boundary. Mm -hmm. And what we ended up doing was kind of swapping who was upset in sex, you know? And now our sex life is better than ever because we do the things we do best together. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when there are other things, you know, an appetite you have for something that the other person's not into, they can do it elsewhere. But for me, there has been increased trust and intimacy. Mm. But again, I'm not saying that it's always the case and everybody should do it. I, I don't believe that personally. And this is not a manifesto or a call for everyone to become non-monogamous my my offering is my experience Mm -hmm. and i think at best it can also just be a conversation starter and then you can choose to still be monogamous with your partner instead of making it the default setting Mm -hmm. i think there's some comfort in that in talking about it and discovering you know what i think let's keep doing this because i like this but maybe we could bring in a little bit of freedom and play in some peripheral ways Mm -hmm. And so in the book, you mention when you and Stuart have sex, he likes to talk about Matt. Matt being, yeah. I think, the, the first well, guy the you The first met. partner uh-huh. I was with, yeah. And I, I have to ask, just from a traditionalist, you know, yeah. non-chandelier swinging guy's perspective, <laughs> like, does it ever affect you? Do you ever not want that? Do you want just to focus sure. on you? Like why? Let's sure. talk, why are we talking about Matt? Matt Schmatt, you know. Let's right. talk about you. Well, I I never want to hear about his partners, and he knows that. Mm, that's like, interesting. Definitely not sexually. I have no no turn on from that. But I do know women who are turned on by the idea of their husband with another woman. Mm-hmm. So it is a it is a kink. It's a thing, right? Sure. Some people have that kink. There, there are I women don't. out there who are turned on by the husband having sex with a woman who's dressed like a squirrel. I mean, that you know, there's all kinds of... I mean, of... you never know. That's right. You the world know. is full of all kinds, and it's all good. It's all... Right. If you find that person mm-hmm. who's willing to dress up as a squirrel and you like that, well done. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I feel like what ended up happening, I am I'm, I'm less into these days talking about other partners mm-hmm. that I'm with with my husband because... What I came to realize is it, you know, at first it felt right and good that like, oh, good, this guy's a prop in my marriage. I'm not actually deserting the marriage. I'm feeding the marriage, right? Mm-hmm. But ultimately that didn't feel so good to to turn another relationship into a prop. 
And that's part of the evolution I kind of went through going from, and in part, this was initially we had the rule, no falling in love. Like you couldn't fall in love with somebody else. It was supposed to be all sex, but that didn't work for me. And it took me a while to figure that out. And so now I do love more than one person. My husband loves more than one person. That was unfeasible to me mm -hmm. back when we started. But once it happens, you kind of realize, oh, we, we do still choose each other. I do still love him. And the you know these are imperfect parallels, but the analogies that I try to come up with to help people wrap their heads around this is if you have more than one child, for example, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I apologized to my older son when I was going into the hospital to have my younger son. I felt like I was leaving him to go cheat with another baby. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. oh God, how can I do this to you? When in fact, I gave him a brother and mm -hmm. now I love them both in different ways. I don't, I don't have the same kind of relationship with each of my children, but I love them completely. There's no part of me that doesn't love either one of them. Um, or also friends. We have more than one friend and we don't say to our friend, I'm sorry, I really can't let you be friends with anybody else because I would get too jealous. That does happen in middle school. I mm -hmm. taught middle school and girls in particular, we had so many triangular dramas when mm -hmm. there was a best friend who made a new friend. It was really hard. Oh, sure. and we would have Fourth to grade is when that it. shit starts. Fifth grade. Yeah. So it's like we have some experience with that feeling mm -hmm. and that feeling of like, oh, I can grow past this. So I had to grow past it and it took about 10 years. Do you think it's common that people grow past it? I mean, I know you're you're one person, so it's hard to, maybe it's unfair yeah. for me to ask you to talk about others. But one of the questions I've always had or, or the concerns is that, can you really take emotion out of a lot of this and... If you don't, if like you, you say you love more than one person, like if if, a, yeah. if you bring emotion into it, isn't that what makes the landscape so much more complicated that now there's emotion attached to multiple people? Like when I was between marriages, I, I dated a woman and the sex was great. This was, I, I was back maybe like 40-ish years old. Okay, okay, something like that. And at some point I said, uh, you know, this is not working for me anymore, you know? Yeah. Um, I might have even done it like Larry David. Eh, this is not really working. <laughs> <clears throat> and, uh, and she was like, well, the sex is so good. Why don't we just keep doing that? And yeah. I was like, really? <laughs> Sign me up. I'm in. And, yeah. I, and I said to yeah. her, you're not going to, like, emotionally, this is not going to go to a weird place. And she's like, no, yeah. no, no, no. And it did. And it we had, we had, we had an amazing, I had an amazing time for a couple of months and then emotion just, you know. Yeah. Well, um, I can't do that anymore either. I can't do sex without emotion. So now I'm only with people that I love. Doesn't that make it that much more complicated? I mean, some people would call it complicated. I also call it interesting. Mm. I also, you know, there are also people who don't want to live in the city because it's too complicated. Mm -hmm. You know, like, oh, but you don't have a place to park and like... How do you go grocery shopping? You know what I mean? And for me, the trade-off is worth it. Mm -hmm. I will I will carry my groceries on a 10-minute walk, and I will take subway stairs because the energy of the city feeds me. And if I go to a place that doesn't have those things, sure, it might be easier, but I'm bored out of my mind. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So there's I, my analogy. 
No, that, that, and and some, but some people don't want that. Some people want to live, you know, and mm -hmm. or, or maybe they want to 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 spend their energy elsewhere. They don't want to have to worry about, you know, more than one person, mm -hmm. or they don't want it. And that's cool. Like sure. it's just. So I'm not saying this is the only way to live a fulfilled life, but I'm saying I love that now. I, I just feel very energized by my other partnerships and I get different things from different people. I also have a ton of friends, a ton of female friends that all feed me in a different way. And I love my life because of it. It's very, it's full of very rich, connected relationships. Do you ever wonder, and I'm maybe half joking, but do you ever wonder with people that are in your life or friends that you meet like are they going oh is she gonna is this an ultimate seduction like do you ever wor worry like people might be a little leery of you in a friend i don't situation? worry about it because that's kind of their problem right. i'm mm -hmm. i'm not going to i think i think sometimes there are people who kind of you know think that's fun to think about and mm -hmm. i've had I've had casual acquaintances make the joke. And I mean, you have to remember, I was a middle school teacher. So I'm pretty good at shutting down <laughs> immature behavior. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's a skill. So in, when in somebody's grade, like, sure. oh, are you hitting on me? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I I can shame, you know. Yeah, well, I, I do You'll know humor. it when I'm hitting on you, girl. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm -hmm. I'll be like, yeah, I, I have... I won't use up all my lines on you right now just because I like to keep them in my back pocket. But no, there's, you know, and I'm 51 now. I'm like, if you think I'm going to seduce you, then I'm feeling pretty good about myself. Or if you think I could, like, good for me, mm -hmm. you know? Or if I, you're thinking about me seducing you, maybe this is something yeah, that I mean, actually right. uh, you're thinking, thinking about. If you're afraid of me seducing you, I guarantee you're not my type. Right. <laughs> How, you know? how prevalent do you think this kind of arrangement is, this lifestyle? Um, I think it's more prevalent than people think. Um, it's certainly not every other house in Park Slope, though. Some people are saying, like, ah, Park Slope is like the nexus. No, it's not. It's like when we first went on dating app, the first time dating apps had non-monogamous in the drop-down menu was in 2015, and my husband and I just kept pairing with each other. You know what I mean? It was like... That's crazy. The, I read that in your yeah, book. Yeah, yeah. It was good. We're a 99.9% .9 match, you know? Duh. Um, but we also... The, the pool Wait, does that grown. mean you guys are like bad at open marriage? If you keep coming back to each other? like I know. Well, I was just like, who else is doing this? Oh. Come on, where are you? Yeah. Um, but now the pool has definitely grown. However, mm. you know, I referenced getting some DMs on Instagram. Mm-hmm. I'm hearing from women in Maine, women from Alabama, women in, you know, Illinois, one in Tennessee. This is anecdotal, but they're saying, yes, I'm non-monogamous and I don't feel like I can tell anyone. So I think part of why I think I'm talking about it because I live in Brooklyn and I do not worry about being ostracized here, right. you know. Right. It would be if different I if you lived live in Tulsa. Yeah, it would be. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like I think it's the same for a lot of people in gay communities, too. Mm -hmm. Like, sure. if you're if you're gay in a small town, it's still hard to come out. Um, and so I think that's another reason I wanted to write the book. I wanted to, you know, be a kind of I, I feel safe if I can't talk about it. Who the heck can? 
Right. So I wanted to offer my story as as a story and nothing more, really. But this is this is how it's happened for me, and and this is how it went. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stuart, who has a sense of humor, uh, yes. In the book, you write that he says this lifestyle has has been easier for him because he says, "quote I date women, and you date men, and as we both know, men <laughs> suck." <laughs> And he compared his dating experience to being at a salad bar, which I just completely yeah. love. I love that. A Vegas <laughs> buffet of, would have been better, but I'll take salad dated. bar. But yeah. Um, yeah. he's he's right, isn't he? Well, I have met men who don't suck. I have. And I don't think my sons suck. I think my sons Most are do. fabulous. Most do. Okay. Well, I think it would help men a lot if they were exposed to more women, to be honest. True. I think... My husband is a better man mm-hmm. because of the women that he has dated. Mm-hmm. And I talk about that in the book at a certain point, too. His long-term girlfriend has my back. And he is hearing from us in stereo about the bullshit that he often still partakes in, right? And mm-hmm. so he's doing it less. When you think it's just your wife nagging at you, that's one thing. When, like, you have a chorus of women being like, that was a dick move. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It no pun intended. Just your pres- yeah, exactly. <laughs> Good one. Um, and I have the same thing. I get a little bit, I get a more intimate view of the male experience and we can share that. And so I feel like it has enriched him as a person to have these relationships. And, and I already knew he was open to this. The, the fact that there were five of his exes at our wedding was a real um, selling point for me, mm-hmm. to be honest, because mm-hmm. I was like, if these women who you were intimate with don't hate you, in fact, they, they kind of like you, that's pretty good, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I think there's a real benefit to just having more women in a man's ear. So you mentioned before that this has been a real learning process for you. What would you say are the biggest, most valuable takeaways from living through this kind of an arrangement? And are there any regrets is it a work in progress? Are there still things that need to be tweaked and fixed or just things you don't mm. like? Like you mentioned, you know, he's like, hey, talk to me about Matt. And you're like, I don't want to talk about, about your girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. Like, are there th- more yeah. things like that that you guys aren't quite in sync with yet? Well, sure. I mean, I, I think if we ever were in complete lockstep, then that would be another reason to be like, see you later. Like, I feel, I do feel like we continue to learn and grow together Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes separately. But the big things I've learned are the importance, you know, I I, I kind of, I've got four. Can I tell you all four? Mm -hmm. I'll try to be quick. Sure. There's there's honesty, Mm -hmm. which involves being honest with your partner, but more importantly, being honest with yourself. Mm -hmm. And just to have that as a goal, Mm -hmm. as opposed to feeling like, because I do hear people say sometimes, Even if I were interested in non-monogamy, I could never even bring it up with my partner or they'd freak out. And I think that's problematic if we can't even talk about our desires or fantasies with our life partner, right? And even if it's hard, and and that would be another thing. So everything that's hard is an opportunity to learn about yourself. So sometimes people also say, oh, it seems like it was really hard for you. Why did you do it? And again, it's this mentality we sometimes have that, we should do things that are easy, but I, I don't think we apply that to other areas of our life. I don't think people say, oof, it's going to be really hard being a doctor. Are you sure you want to do that? 
some people might, mm -hmm. but like we also know there's some benefit to doing hard things. So the fact that it's hard isn't in and of itself a reason to not try something, in mm -hmm. my opinion. Um, freedom is a big one. The importance of giving your partner areas of freedom and not feeling like it's a it's a negative for the relationship if you like separate things and want to do things separately sometimes. Mm -hmm. I think that's important. Um, and then my last one is that love is not a scarce resource. And once you get to the place of feeling like um, there is going to be enough love for you, you, you let go of a lot of fear in all areas of your life. Mm -hmm. No, that's, so those are my biggies. No, those, those are my biggies. Those are important things. And, and again, yeah. you know, I think most people need all of those things. Yeah. And it's a life's work. So when you say, are there things we're still working on? Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, there are. There's still things I'm learning about myself. So I can't be truthful with him about something if I can't be truthful with myself. Or I'm working, I'm at a new place, my long-term relationship I'm in now, he's been gone for six weeks and we're doing FaceTime for the first time. And so like, I'm having to work things out with him that I might already have worked out with my husband, but it's a little different with him. And I'm seeing some things in myself that I don't particularly like, you know, it's all information for me mm -hmm. and it's good. Mm -hmm. The last thing I want to ask you about, you're working on a new book. Of I am. your relationships with Stuart's relationships and how you guys are like gal friends and stuff. And then... Not, not quite to that degree, but yeah, that's the topic. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of my next frontier if mm -hmm. you think about things we're working on, right? So I just met a few months ago his girlfriend of eight years, and that was a big deal for me. Um, but she's had an impact on me before I met her you know, because we both love the same person. Mm -hmm. um, and then there have been partners, you know, somebody I date, their wife, you know, their wife has had an impact on me, mm -hmm. sometimes directly, sometimes right. indirectly. Right. Um, so there's a term in polyamory called metamor, and it's your partner's partner that you're not necessarily involved with. So I want to write about my metamors and kind of what that community, you know, it's kind of a network of women mm -hmm. in my case, cause I only am heterosexual. It could be of different genders depending on your sexuality. But for me, it's been a really important source of learning for me that I did not expect. Mm. So that's kind of where my head is at right now and, and what I'm writing about. Mm -hmm. Well, that would be a really fascinating book for sure. And I want to ask you, has Hollywood come knocking about the <laughs> other book? Yeah, well, I've got a pitch deck and a shopping agreement with two women in L.A. And we've gotten, since the book hit the New York Times bestseller list, we, mm -hmm. we made our pitch deck over a year ago. But nobody wanted to look at it until the book mm -hmm. hit the New York Times now list. Now they all so want it. Mm -hmm. Now we've got some A-listers reading. It's mm -hmm. true. I'm not supposed to say any names. but um, mm -hmm. I could see Julianne Moore. You know, so many, mm -hmm. so many people that I could see. Um, Pete Davidson is is Matt, right? Okay. Sure. Oh, like it. I like it. I like it. Um, one of the fun things about it being a TV show based on a memoir is we can fictionalize a bit. Right. So, for example, in our pitch deck, and who knows what'll happen if it actually gets made. We're looking at it as a TV series, but 
one of the thoughts is like, instead of my having two sons, I have two daughters mm-hmm. and talk and, and really lean into the female legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of thing. And then my sons, of course, were thrilled to hear that because the last thing they want is to be like on the mom. Screen. I know. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Molly, this was a great conversation. The book is titled More a memoir of open marriage. I suggest you guys read it because it is a thrilling, very interesting, I'll say salacious and a real fun ride. And uh, thanks for giving us some insight into this lifestyle. And I agree with you. I have a sneaking suspicion that there are way more people out there living it than not. Yeah, we shall find out. Well, take care. (laughs) Thank you, Andy. Bye-bye. This episode of The Back Room was edited and produced by me, Andy Ostroy. It was co-edited and co-produced by Maddie Rosenberg and co-produced by Jen Hamoud. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Hollander, and our logo was designed by Cricket Langell. And special thanks to Patricia Wind. Please take a moment to rate and review the podcast, and also follow or subscribe. Until next time, keep your eyes on Washington, Hollywood, and your own backyards, and have a great week. Bye.